this is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz Cryptosome. On this episode of the podcast, we have Michael Folkson from the London Bitcoin Devs. I had Michael join me on the podcast this week because he's organizing two side events that take place just before the Lightning Network Conference in Berlin. I'm flying into Berlin this week in order to attend not only these side events, but several other events that are taking place a uh, privacy-oriented event, as well as Rene Picard's developer workshop. This is the sixth episode of the podcast. We talk about Michael's background, Socratic seminars, philosophy, hyper-Bitcoinization, Schnorr, Taproot, and TapScript, and much more. Just a reminder that this podcast has no sponsors. I rely on my listeners to help fund this podcast and to propel it towards its future heights. If you'd like to chip in to the crowdfunding campaign, please go to crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net. You can also tip me at tipping.me forward slash at lnjunkies or on bottle pay, btl.2 forward slash at lnjunkies. Talking about sponsorships, I've been thinking of following the lead of the Portal podcast by Eric Weinstein and have reverse sponsorships where I talk about products and services that I already like and use in order to perhaps get them to uh, sponsor the uh, podcast. What do you think about this? Would this be annoying? Would this be betraying the ethos that I set out initially? How would you feel about that? Please let me know on Twitter or elsewhere. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. like to go ahead and welcome Michael to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Great to be here, Chess. So to kind of jump off on the the episode here, I would love to kind of know your general background, you know, before we even get into the Bitcoin stuff. Sure. So I started uh, my career in finance, doing risk management and risk modeling for um, insurance companies and banks. It was a very interesting time post-2008. There were a lot of uh, sovereign debt crises and all sorts happening. So I, I really read up on economics and finance. I left that in 2012. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I heard about Bitcoin late 2013, 2014. Uh, I started going to a few uh, weekly meetups. It became more and more interesting to me. Uh, I did an MBA in Australia. And then I uh, tried to raise funds for a startup in California, a Bitcoin startup, which was a really good experience. We didn't actually end up being successful raising funds, but it was. Uh, I certainly learned a lot during that time and met some really, really interesting people over in California. And then since then, I've done, I've done London Bitcoin devs and some other things, training and so sort of Gotcha. I just wanted to ask very briefly, if, if you would, about this uh, Bitcoin company. Yeah, so it's called Risk Bazaar. And it was attempting to build a platform and or a protocol for peer-to-peer, we are calling them risk contracts. So this would be peer-to-peer wages where me and you bet on a certain event and post that, uh, post those funds, Bitcoin in this case, to a multi-sig. And there'd be an oracle to determine who uh, would receive those funds in the case of a dispute between me and you and that wager. The same setup could be used in an insurance scenario for at least uh, basic insurance contracts. So you can imagine for like a flight delay insurance policy or mobile insurance policy, Um, I post the premium, if you're the insurance company, you post the reserve, and then if I make a claim, 
I receive all of the funds. And if I don't make a claim, you receive all the funds. Got it. Okay. That's pretty interesting. But let's go ahead and take a quick step back here. You were saying that you had kind of gone in into economics mm-hmm. and it sounds like it kind of laid the groundwork for you getting into Bitcoin. How did you get into Bitcoin? Uh, it just kind of steadily steadily made its way into my consciousness. I can't remember exactly when I first heard about it. It was probably 2013. Um, and it was probably in something like The Economist or the FT, and it was probably bad-mouthing it. Uh, yeah, having worked in finance, um, I I was a lot more interested in finance than technology at that time. Uh, so that explains why it took me a, uh, a while to, to hear about it. Certainly some people were heard about it years before and were actually contributing right in the early days so it would have been nice to have heard about it earlier but but i probably just rejected it so (laughs) god it makes sense i think most people have the same uh sentiment there when would you say that you got into uh the lightning network uh when i was in california san francisco working on this startup i attended the meetup where taj and joseph poon uh announced the white paper I can't say I was there for the for the beginning of Bitcoin, but that's that's pretty much as early as it can get for Lightning. So that's uh, certainly something I can be very grateful about. That, that sounds pretty cool. I wish I was there for that. Yeah. What would you say is the most interesting part of the Lightning Network? Like ev- everyone will have different answers to this. Personally, I am really excited. I got into Bitcoin because I was really excited about all the different use cases on Bitcoin. And it was obvious during the block size debate and block size war that Bitcoin wasn't, at least that base layer wasn't going to be able to support all of the things that I and other people are really excited about. So when Lightning came out, then that I think that re-energized a lot of the use cases that people had started to write off because they just couldn't envisage the Bitcoin base layer being able to support all of those use cases like unknown micropayments or the risk contracts, the betting, the, the, the microinsurance type stuff that I was working on. And certainly if, if Bitcoin continues to rise in price, then without Lightning, possibly the only use case that really works is the digital gold use case. So I think just re-energizing all of those possible use cases uh, is the biggest thing that I think Lightning brings. Are you currently working on any particular Bitcoin or Lightning Network project that really interests you? No, I'm just, I I did some Lightning training after breaking Bitcoin uh, earlier this year. So I would still say I'm I'm following it as closely as I can. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'll take any opportunities to uh, test myself in terms of trying to teach it and explain it. Um, But yeah, there's no specific project that I'm working on currently. I think it's still very early days. Like maybe, maybe at one, maybe at one point I'll uh, start working again on the the peer to peer risk contract thing. But I still think it's very early, so I'm holding off for now. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Coming up pretty soon, I think you know next week is the uh, Lightning Network conference. Are you excited about going to that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You're talking at uh, one of the meetups. Uh, Stefan Rivera is too. So it'll be interesting to pit old Bitcoin podcast ahead against the new one. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I compete even remotely to Stefan, but, you know, it'd be very interesting to kind of get his, some of his uh, feedback. And You have to start somewhere. True. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying uh, that I'm, I may not grow at some point, but uh, 
you know, it's kind of uh, intimidating because I see him as being, you know, very good at what he does. And I feel like I'm still building up my uh, my skills here. Absolutely. But um, I wanted to kind of ask, uh, you're kind of going to be doing uh, two different uh, side events. Is that right? Yes. There's two meetups in the run up to the Lightning Conference that um, I'm helping to organize. Uh, one of them is a Socratic seminar. We can talk a bit about what a Socratic seminar is if you're interested. Um, and then the second one is like the project startup showcase where people can either demo or talk about the projects that they're working on. And there's been tons of people contacting me to do short uh, talks um, and a bunch of projects that, that I'm really interested in either learning about or getting updates on. So I'm looking forward to both. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I'm going to be giving a, a talk at, the, at that particular one. I've never given a talk in anything in my life. I've always kind of avoided being in front of crowds. So we'll see how that ends up going. It'll be a friendly crowd. True, true. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> but I do want to go ahead and ask about that first uh, meetup that's going to be the Socratic seminar. Do you want to tell me more about that? Sure. So this is a format that uh, BitDevs in New York have been running their meetups with for, I think it's at least three, four years. They've done like 100 uh, Socratic seminars now, almost 100. Um, and the format is basically, rather than having a formal presenter stand at the front and deliver a presentation on a particular topic and then have a Q&A with that presenter answering the questions, it's kind of more of a discussion format where there will be um, one or two people leading the discussion and preparing an agenda in advance. But everybody who's there is free to contribute or ask questions or express their views on particular topics. Um, and it's a really good, flexible format in that if you have like some Bitcoin wizards there, like, I don't know, Peter Wooler or Greg Maxwell, you can kind of just like listen in awe and learn. <laughs> But if you're one of the more uh, informed, educated people in the room, then then you can speak more um, and test your ability to explain concepts and um, some of the like pull requests and bits that, that uh, other people have drafted. So it's a really uh, flexible format, and certainly me and the New York uh, Bit Devs organizers, John Newbury, a bunch of us are really enthusiastic about. Uh, spreading this format so that hopefully there can be like a Socratic seminar meetup in every city or every major city. Got it. Have you done very many of these yourself at the London Bitcoin devs? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've done, I think three. Uh, we started this year uh, with one where John Newbury um, came to uh, to run the, the Socratic. So, so obviously like John's a pro and uh, Jay was there too and they and they ran it so like we could see like how the pros do it um, but it works without them too like someone like me has to step up and do their best to try and match Jay and John's uh, abilities but uh, but it works it's fun what are some of the uh, topics that come out of these kind of things you know what, what kind of things do you learn so the if you go to bitdevs.org Jay produces these very detailed agendas like every month. Um, because they've had so many, um, they can really focus on what's come out in the last month. I think because we're just getting started in London and other cities uh, in the US and elsewhere are getting started too, um, at least in London, we've focused on broader topics. So I think we had a Socratic seminar on like how lightning works at a high level. 
Uh, we recently did one on Schnorr and Taproot and Miniscript. Um, so it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's just flexible. Um, you can focus on some of the work or discussion that's happened in the last month, or you can just take a big broad topic like Lightning and just discuss where people's where people uh, people's understanding of how it works falls down. Got it. Maybe this is a totally off topic, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Do you have any kind of personal uh, interest in kind of philosophy in general? You know, kind of the you know, the Socratic thing being based on Socrates and all? I haven't read, well, uh, I, there are no Socrates books. I think Plato, uh, was it Plato that wrote up yeah. the Socratic teaching? I don't know. Uh, I haven't read uh, much of that at all. Uh, I've read Nassim Taleb. Nassim Taleb is a massive hero of mine. And so he's he's kind of like a quasi-philosopher. Um, he, can't, yeah, he's, he, taught, he talks a lot, a lot about a lot of different subjects. Uh, but apart from Nassim Taleb... Yeah, I don't think I've read too much philosophy. Unfortunately. All right, no problem. That was a bit of a, a, side, a <laughs> side note there. You have to do a philosophy podcast. I, at some point, maybe. like That's that's probably going to be a little bit outside my depth there. I think this is even a little <laughs> bit easier than that. That can be a, Great, maybe. Uh, okay, well, uh, let's jump back to the Lightning Network uh, conference here a little bit. Uh, I think I saw that you're going to be giving a, a talk there as well. Sure, yeah. What are you going to talk about? So the topic is the impact of Schnorr, Taproot, and Tapscript on Lightning. So there are tons of really good resources out there, and some people have, including like Peter Willer, have done uh, really great presentations on uh, the Schnorr Taproot proposals. So this is my attempt to to explore how this impacts Lightning. Would it be kind of giving spoilers if you gave us a bit of a taste right now about you know what you, what that might uh, look like? Oh no 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 certainly not spoilers no so um so Schnorr and Taproot offer a signature aggregation uh, oh sorry key aggregation uh, Jonas will uh, scold me for calling it signature aggregation key aggregation which will allow so when you open a Lightning channel you're you're sending funds to a, a two of two multisig and then when you close that channel. If it's a cooperative close, then uh, at the moment, two signatures are going on chain. With a Schnorr and Taproot proposal, uh, only one signature will go on chain. And so that's really great for privacy and really good for saving space on chain. Uh, signatures are already in a, uh, in a witness structure after SegWit, but this is, it's, it's even better if you can... Uh, combine uh, two signatures into one, so you only have to store one in that witness structure. So there's space savings. It's great for privacy because after this, you won't be able to look at the blockchain and tell which transactions are open and close. Um, Lightning Lightning channel open and closes. There are also some changes with TapScript to how to Bitcoin script. Uh, some minor changes that will make. Um, implementing Sikash no inputs or any prev out um, at a later date, hopefully, if there's consensus on which of those should go in. Got it. Was that, did you follow that? <laughs> uh, for the most part, yeah. Like, I've, I've definitely listened to a lot of these explanations like 30 times in a row, trying to kind of beat it into my brain. Uh, sometimes it still has a hard time actually going in. Um, but I think I kind of uh, get the, the basics here. There's three ways that a channel is going to be closed. The cooperative close is just getting a signature from your, the remote party and then going on chain with, with um, two signatures. 
There's the second way, which is a force close, in which case the remote party of your channel isn't responding. So you need to go on chain and with a transaction that effectively locks up your funds for a particular period of time. That's if you're, if the remote party isn't responding. And then the third way that you might close a channel is if the remote party broadcasts a old or revoked state. And in that case, you need to, at least as it, as it stands, you put you punish them by, by um, taking all the funds in that channel. And there are, there are benefits to all three of those ways you can close a channel with Chanel Interpret. Got it. So beyond, you know, those technologies, are there any other Bitcoin slash Lightning Network technologies that you're looking forward to? I'm really interested in all of it, really. I've seen a couple of presentations from Connor on Watchtowers. Um, Watchtowers I find really interesting because uh, it's kind of a similar problem to the the reputation problem that you have in a uh, e-commerce or the risk bazaar scenario that I was talking about earlier, because you need that because you you want to employ a watchtower that's going to reliably reliably save your funds in the case that a remote party tries to cheat you. So that's really interesting. I find the ranking of lightning nodes in terms of the ability to manage their channels and stay online and uh, open up channels in a creative way such that they're routing more payments. I find that really interesting. It's just a bunch I find really, really interesting. Um, it's just a challenge to keep up with all the work that's coming out of the uh, major lightning implementations and try and keep up with some of the, the uh, improvements that are happening in core as well. Got it. So you kind of mentioned watchtowers a little bit. Um, from my understanding, I think there's a other p- proposal called L2 mm-hmm. that would make that less relevant, I believe, if, if I'm understanding it correctly. Do you have any opinion on that? Uh, you will still need watchtowers. Um, you'll... So how Lightning works is that you need to be online. Either you need to be online or, or someone else needs to be online on your behalf, which is effectively the watchtower format, to, to check that the remote party in your channel isn't broadcasting a revoked or old state. So that, that problem does not go away with L2. Um, what L2 allows is currently a watchtower has to hold on to all the prior states in that channel. So like if we imagine there's a channel between me and you, Chaz, and I make like payment after payment after payment, the state is changing every time I make a payment, your balance is going up effectively, my balance is going down. So if I broadcast an old state that's attempting to try and rob you of what the current balance of that channel is for you, and the watchtower, and so at the moment the watchtower has to keep a record of all those prior states and a uh, transaction linking to each of those prior states to seize all the funds in the case that I try and cheat you. But after L2, uh, assuming they're able to get um, Sikash and input or any prev out in, the watchtower will only need to hold on to the uh, most current state. So they won't have to keep, they won't have to keep all those old states. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that for me. I'm I'm glad I was able to learn something on that. Okay, so let's look at other people that are talking at the Lightning Network conference. Is there anything else you're kind of looking forward to there? <sighs> Again, where'd you start? Right, like, all of the all of the developers from the major Lightning implementations are speaking. I think the only one that isn't is like Matt Crowley from Rust Lightning. I, I only go to conferences if there's going to be like technical talks um, from developers because there's just so many conferences now. 
and there's just so little time in the day. So I think there's going to be the tons of really interesting technical presentations at the conference. There'll be, there'll be some non-technical ones as well that, that may be interesting. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the, the developer ones. Do you think the Lightning Network conference is going to end up being a bigger conference kind of in the years going forward? I'd certainly guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd guess that's, well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, as, as, as Bitcoin grows and as Lightning grow, I think lots of people have talked about this. Like, there's, there's just going to be specialists on various aspects. So who knows, maybe in five years, there'll, there'll be a conference just on Watchtowers. Like I think I think that's how it's going to go because it's just like I'm I, I'm really struggling to keep on top of all of the changes that are happening on the different aspects of Lightning and all the different aspects that are ha- that are changing in Bitcoin Core. It's really really hard. Um, and it's like yeah, as it grows and more people are working on things, I think it's going to become harder and harder. Um, and so there's, it's going to specialize and yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if in five years there's a conference just to watch down. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I wanted to go a little bit more broad now, kind of move away from the, the specific. I had already kind of asked you about, you know, some good reasons to kind of, you know, look at Lightning Network, at, you know, generally. What are, what are maybe some challenges or disadvantages to dealing with the Lightning Network, either as a developer from a kind of more of a tech side or from a user side uh it's still very early yeah there's still there's still teething pains whether you're a user or whether you're a developer yeah i mean we saw like it's we saw with the the recent bug on all three of the major implementations that um i, I thought there would be bugs that seemed like a very strange bug given like how important it is that uh, that you check that if someone opens a channel with you that that they're actually uh, depositing the funds that they say they are. So it surprised me, like how basic that that bug was. But like it's 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 a complex protocol, so there's going to be mistakes made. Yeah, it's it's very it's very very difficult to to build these protocols and ensure they're secure. In terms of users, I think the user experience is very good if you use a custodial service. But then like that kind of negates the whole point of Lightning. I still think we're a long way away from like our, our grandparents from like p- paying in lightning in a trustless way and whether they'll ever be running a lightning node or a full bitcoin full node i just don't know there's 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 scaling challenges too that kind of touch on the topic that i'll be presenting on like hopefully if lightning continues to grow and is more and more successful then i certainly think at some point in the future there's going to be uh, transaction fee rises because so many people are trying to open and close channels and fit them into a block. And so we'll need further uh, scaling improvements, which um, potentially follow-ons to Schnorr and Taproot can provide. Uh, so there's, there's just a bunch of uh, challenges. And I think it's going to take longer than some people expect to get the technology and the protocol ready for, like, in inverted commas, mainstream. Uh, but I, I certainly don't see any reason why we won't eventually get there. I think it's just a matter of timing. Got it. Okay. Talking about uh, people using custodial wallets, do you think the trade-offs are kind of worth it on that end, or are they kind of just uh, too much to bear overall on, you know, if people were just to use only those kind of wallets? I think if, like, in five, ten years, like, the vast majority of people are using custodial solutions, I, I think that will be a failure of like our community, our Bitcoin-like community. But 
there's certainly an argument like as a stepping stone while there still are teething problems and there still are challenges in terms of getting the user experience absolutely as optimized and as perfect as it can be that you start onboarding people with like more uh, trusted solutions but the, i mean there is a danger with that 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 people never move off those trusted solutions so i don't know it's it's a tough one i, I think i lean towards the it's okay in the early days but we certainly don't want the long term we certainly don't want in the long term everyone just relying on custody solutions because there's very little point in in the Bitcoin and Lightning projects, if that's the case. Got it. This might sound like a kind of similar way to ask a previous question, but and let me know if it does sound like that. But I like to kind of ask, is there any strong reasons to be skeptical of the Lightning Network overall? Like, you know, is there any big holes in the, you know, the way that it works, the UX or anything like that? There's certainly a lot of question marks, I think, or or challenges to overcome. And I think to... For the, I think most of them will be able to be overcome. And there's kind of like people have sketched out roadmaps to how to address those challenges. I'm more optimistic now about like scaling to bring on you know, millions, if not billions of people over the, over the long term. Um, I think Schnorr and Taproot and follow on uh, proposals from them offer the opportunity to open large numbers of channels and close large numbers of channels all in all in one uh, transaction with only storing one signature potentially uh, which is which will be a massive win so scaling i'm more optimistic about i mean if we compare to the existing system with fractional reserve banking i'm i don't know how it's going to end up in terms of whether there's going to be sufficient liquidity in all the areas of the economy because like with no fractional reserve banking, uh, you're only sending funds that you actually own. And so that really drastically reduces global liquidity into various investments and business activities. So I don't know how that will work out, but, um, but yeah, that's a longer term question. Got it. Kind of riffing off of what you were saying about kind of scaling and things like that. I was uh, reading some FUD on... Twitter, I think yesterday, it's a pretty common piece of FUD of it's going to take 93 years to open up enough channels for everyone on the planet, etc. Is it your kind of guess or suspicion that the technologies that you're talking about are going to kind of make this kind of a, a moot point that's, that you can, you know, open up 100 channels? I don't know if that's plausible, but open up some number of channels in one transaction and be able to onboard many, many people without needing to use uh, you know, to take 93 years or whatever the actual number would be. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're hitting nail on the head. So like with Schnorr and Taproot, there's a there's an improvement in that you can, the key aggregation or signature aggregation, you can do uh, for one uh, input, but a future version of Schnorr and Taproot, and there's people are like discussing already how this will work, will be able to aggregate signatures across inputs. So then you've got potentially a transaction with like 10, 20 channel opens and you're only storing one signature for all those openings. So I mean, that's just a massive win once we get to that point. It's, it's far off because obviously we still, we're still early with Schnorr and Taproot and Schnorr and Taproot's just going to be um, aggregating signatures for one input. But, but further on, like that's really, really uh, exciting for Bitcoin and Lightning.
Uh, got it. One of the uh, kind of uh, cr uh, criticisms that I, you know, very similar to the one that I just mentioned about, you know, massive adoption, you know, what are we going to do? On one of my previous podcasts, uh, John Carvalho was kind of saying he doesn't believe in, in mass adoption, all that. And I'm pretty skeptical of mass adoption coming, you know, anytime soon. Do you, you know, kind of agree with that, that we don't really have to worry about that in the short term? Because is there not really a quote unquote real reason for people to jump onto Bitcoin and lightning in the short term? I, 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 I don't like putting ceilings on like ambition for Bitcoin and lightning because like, I mean, I and I think many others got into Bitcoin and got into lightning because they saw this completely transforming the world. Sure. Um, and effective well, providing an opportunity to build a completely new financial system, given that the existing one is completely failing and collapsing slowly but surely over the years. So I, I don't want to put a ceiling on it long term. I do think it's going to take, as I said earlier, longer than people think to address some of the challenges that we were talking about. So yeah, like short term, like I'm 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 pretty bearish, but long term, uh, I'm really really bullish and. Yeah, I wouldn't be working on this like uh, full time if I wasn't as excited as I am for the prospects longer term. Yeah, I definitely I would agree with you there. What would you say is the best use case, the strongest use case for people using you know, uh, the Lightning Network at the moment? I think it's kind of like at the hobbyist like developer phase. Some people may disagree with that, and certainly like applications or businesses that are trying to onboard. Uh, users from like all spheres of life may disagree with that but i think we're at the hobbyist developer stage and the biggest motivation is uh, especially like as a developer there's there's just so much potential long term for this and to be in a position to play a part in that long term potential you need to like keep up to date and keep understanding the technology and keep playing around with it and keep refining your own skills and trying to trying your best to follow all the amazing work that's coming out of Bitcoin core and the lightning implementations um, so that your best place to play a role um, in that long-term potential it offers and like sim similar for hobbyists. Yeah, that, that'd be my view. Like, uh, I'm, I know some people would disagree with that. Okay. Even though we're kind of in the uh, hobbyist phase then, do you have any app or service that uses Lightning that you kind of uh, like anyway? Yeah, I think it's some of the submarine swap stuff that like Alex Bonsworth is working on is really interesting. Um, blurring the lines between like base layer Bitcoin and Lightning. Lightning Bitcoin is, is really interesting. Um, because yeah, certainly how, like, how I think about it is that they're two very separate layers, but like if that line gets starts to get blurred, then it's going to be uh, it's going to offer a lot of opportunities to improve the user experience um, and not have the user having to worry about whether they have on-chain Bitcoin or uh, Bitcoin locked up in a Lightning channel. So I find that really interesting, and and like even though I think it's it's early for applications, like it's still great that that people are, are building them, and and there's some really interesting ones like some of them are presenting at the meetup that we discussed next week so yeah i mean there's there's betting applications there's gaming applications there's like hardware projects like it, it's great people are trying to build these uh, i'm certainly not saying people sh shouldn't be building these but yeah i i, I wonder if it's ready for uh, mainstream um, 
in, in, in the short term. Got it. Riffing off that same kind of idea, you know, I've asked this question uh, frequently on my podcast. What do you think about the idea of when you're onboarding like a friend, a newbie, whatever you want to call them, pre-corner, et cetera, would it make sense to onboard them directly onto Lightning first to kind of give them better UX? Or would it make more sense to make sure they have a grounding in the base chain of Bitcoin, make sure they understand confirmations, you know, go through all of that. Do you have any opinion on that? I don't, but I love it that people are trying both approaches. I don't know. I really don't know. So like wallets like uh, uh, Breeze are just abstracting that base layer completely away. Other, certainly like existing Bitcoin wallets will be seeking to uh, use the software they've already built for the on-chain wallet and trying to integrate lightning funds into those existing wallets i think it's great people are building both like yeah let the market decide got it yeah absolutely i think i heard that like electrum is going to be adding lightning onto their their wallet so that's very interesting okay kind of moving on there a little bit maybe talk about Bitcoin a little bit more broadly here before we wrap up, you know, kind of stepping away from lightning a little bit. Is there anything just in the Bitcoin world itself, you know, putting Schnorr and Taproot to the side a little bit that would kind of make you excited? Yeah, I like everything. <laughs> it's just so hard to pick things. Yeah, I, I worry every day that I'm just spreading myself too thin by trying to stay on top of everything. I love like the Miniscript stuff that uh, Peter Willer and Andrew Polster are working on, well, uh, and released is is so fascinating. The hardware wallet stuff that like Andrew Chow is working on, integrating hardware wallets into Bitcoin Core. I don't know. I, I I don't like to. It's like trying to choose your favorite kid or favorite baby. Like uh, it's it's also interesting. Um, it's like maybe at some point I'll I'll, I'll be forced to specialize uh, if I work on something specific. But at the moment, I'm just trying to continue my learning and try to keep abreast of uh, all the incredible stuff people are working on. Yeah, I think I'm on the, the boat with, there with you too. I try to, you know, put everything in, in, into the brain and over, and get overloaded and, you know, get lost on half the stuff and have to go back and reread and reread. Yeah, I think it's like, especially the, like, because I do the London Bitcoin Devs meetup, like we have speakers, like speaking about different projects all the time. And like similarly, you're doing a podcast where you'll be speaking to people working on different things. Yeah, and Stefan Rivera's had podcasts on all sorts of different topics. So I think I think we're kind of all in the same boat in that like we're, we're, we're privileged and that we're able to learn about all these different topics. But to ensure the meetups and the podcasts go smoothly, we have to we have to know something about the topic ourselves. And so, we're, yeah, we're kind of dragged into the generalist category, whether we like to be there or not. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, I, I guess in, in some sense, I have definitely specialized at least somewhat by putting my hat in directly into the Lightning Network yeah. part of things. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's it's happening. But at some point, <laughs> but, who, but like, I'd, like I'd, I'd certainly love a future podcast where, where you get someone like, uh, I don't know, Peter Willer or uh, Jonas Nick to talk about how Schnorr and Taproot will impact Lightning. Because, I mean, everything on that base layer is going to impact the Lightning experience. So, I mean, yes, you can abstract the user experience away in the way like Breeze Wallet is doing, but like so many things, whether it be L2, which we discussed, or uh, other things that people are trying to get onto onto Lightning, like Lalu's trying to get Neutrino uh, filters to be served. Like there's so much stuff that relies on the base layer. Certainly as a Lightning community, we can't afford to just completely ignore what's going on in that base layer. Well, yeah, of course. As far as having, I don't even think I can say his name, uh, Peter. Um... <laughs> as far as I know, it's Willa. Willa. Willa, okay. Like, like uh, voila, voila, voila with a W. 
That's my understanding. Yeah. But I think everyone gets it wrong and everyone has a different attempt. <laughs> well, anyway, I think I would be very uh, intimidated to have someone like him on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. You have to go, th- you have to go through the gears, but, but like aim high long term. That, that would be my motivation for you and all of your listeners. Long term, aim, aim, aim for the stars. Aim, shoot the moon. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's, that's why we're here, I think. Okay, last few questions here, kind of still sticking to kind of Bitcoin generally. Mm -hmm. So in previous podcasts, I have talked about the uh, circular economy or the closed loop economy. Do you think that like we're on the path of making that a reality? And or is there anything that people can do to help make it a reality? Again, like similar to my answer before, I think like long term, that is the goal. Long term, there shouldn't be any reason to fall back into the fiat system. But I think it's, there's just so many like holes currently like very few merchants will accept bitcoin or lightning so you kind of have to convert your bitcoin to fiat to pay for them so when, when i was talking earlier about wanting like a new financial system to be built on top of bitcoin like this like if you compare the financial system on top of bitcoin to like the existing financial system there's just so many pieces missing so talked a bit about like um just simple betting contracts or peer-to-peer insurance contracts, derivatives. So, so these are like ways to transfer transfer and hold risk and risk management solutions. Yeah, like it's, uh, there's, there's just, a, there's trillion dollar derivative markets and like the derivative market on top of Bitcoin is tiny. So like it's still very, very early for all of these things. But, but long-term, that's where we want to be. We want a new financial system. We want a closed loop system. We don't want to need to have to convert our Bitcoin to fiat. We want to be able to do everything in the Bitcoin economy that we could do in the old financial system, including things like insurance and jobship. Okay. I think I'm going to end with a, a question you're probably going to yell at me for, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's your argument, assuming you agree with the premise of hyper-Bitcoinization? How, how will it work? Will it work? You can take that any way that you want to, I guess. Yeah, I would say I would, I would see hyper-Bitcoinization as as having that closed loop economy, as eating up like a lot of the the potential use cases and digital digital gold would be one, but hopefully we can also do payments, micropayments, like at some stage in the long term. Eating up all the existing use cases in the existing financial system, being able to provide them in a better, stronger, trust minimized way. Um, using software and using Bitcoin, and obviously, like the more the more use cases, the more use cases there are, and the more ways you can spend your Bitcoin, and the the the, the more products that are available on top of Bitcoin, that would that will expand the and really um, put the engines under the price as well. So, like if there is a new financial system that's a closed loop economy that completely replaces the old financial system, like the Bitcoin price is just going to go crazy. Um, so like Bitcoin holders are going to be hodlers, are going to be rewarded if if that uh, hyper-Bitcoinization or that closed-loop economy or that new financial system come into being. And I don't see any reason why it won't eventually. It's just a question of time. All right. Uh, perfect. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and kind of wrap things up here. Are, are people still able to RSVP for the two meetups? Are they filled up? Or are there still room for people to attend? The Socratic still has some spots left. I think the like project in South Africa is, uh, is now on a waitlist, but it's a very small waitlist. So get on that waitlist, and then hopefully, if, if people pull out, if they're not going to show, then then uh, you'll be in prime position to attend. 
I don't think we're going to have any more space for speakers. Could you let the listeners know how they can find these uh, two meetups? Sure. Yeah. So it's on meetup.com. The meetup is Bitcoin Lab Berlin. I should also plug London Bitcoin Devs. If anybody is ever in London, just join London Bitcoin Devs group. Oh, also, uh, another plug on Bitcoin Core uh, PR Review Club that I generally try and attend every Wednesday. So anybody that's interested in learning more about Bitcoin Core and learning about the pull requests uh, process of Bitcoin Core, uh, John Newbury and John Attack uh, run a great session every Wednesday on IRC. So I hope to see some of your listeners there. And uh, how about how they can find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Michael Fixon. Yeah, that's probably best. Got it. Well, I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast, Michael. Uh, it's great. Great, uh, great fun. Thanks, Charles. Boom. That was the sixth episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. What did you think? Did you learn anything? I definitely feel like I learned something. I think Michael schooled me a bit there. As mentioned on this episode, I'm going to Berlin this week, and I'm going to be giving a small talk at the side event that Michael is running. I also have a uh, interview with a, a couple of surprise guests. I will be releasing that episode next Monday if everything works out. If you value this podcast, I would highly suggest that you subscribe and leave a review. It would help me tremendously, as well as the previously mentioned crowdfunding campaign and tipping resources. Those links are in the show notes. For now, I'll see you on the Lightning Network.